You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We're in the the Gospel of Mark. We went last time from the ministering by the lakeside, and there we saw that many came to him and he healed them. And uh, we've noticed in the Gospel of Mark, have you noticed from from chapter 1 on, we're only in chapter 3, but in chapter 1, every time there's a healing or every time there's some kind of supernatural activity, do you know who's there? The demonic. Almost every time the Lord's someplace and he's ministering, whether he's proclaiming truth, he's teaching, the demon in the, in the synagogue speaks up. We, we find that as he's healing at uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house and as, he, as he's healing the, the multitudes that gather there, that the demons are present and he, he's casting out demons. And all through, you'll find throughout all the Gospels, there's, a, there's an unusual uh, kind of correlation between healing sickness and disease and casting out the demonic. Now that doesn't mean that if you have a sickness, you have a demon. But have you ever noticed that the kingdom of darkness will use whatever means it can to try to take a difficult situation and make it worse? It will take something where you just stub your toe and next thing you know, anxiety and panic kits and you're, you're thinking you're going to need to have your toe amputated and, and the fears will just go completely out of sorts. The kingdom of darkness will exploit everything they can in your life. They will exploit your fears, your anxieties. When you have sadness, and it's just a natural sadness because something happened that didn't go the way you had hoped it was going to go, it will take just that natural sadness and try to take it and descend it down into a full depression. It's, it's amazing how the kingdom of darkness will work, and they'll piggyback. Now, everyone who's depressed isn't demonized, but I guarantee you, if you are depressed, the demonic is looking for a ways to make it worse. If you're dealing with sickness or if you're dealing with something, I guarantee you that there are evil spirits that have been assigned to see if they can find a way to make your wife, make your life. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) To just make your life worse and attack in any way it can. So let's be mindful of this, because here at the lakeside, as Jesus is healing the many, the demonic knows who he is. In chapter one, they say, we know who you are, you're the son of the most high God. Here, you're the son of God, we know who you are. And Jesus in both places commands them not to speak. He does not want them proclaiming the good news of who he is. He silences them and he gives them a stern warning not to speak. And that's where we pick up today's text. Verse 13, Mark chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve appointed, 
Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the names Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, what the Spirit is speaking to the churches today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus goes up on a mountain, he goes up on the mountainside. Is it interesting that every time in the Bible that you find that there's a mountain, there's usually some kind of connection with God? It's, it's how many love mountains? How many love beaches? How many love mountains and beaches? <laughs> it's interesting that every time that Jesus goes up on the mountain, he goes up on the mountain to pray, to commune, to be close to God. It's really interesting. And we, we, we find in Luke's record of this, uh, let's go ahead and look at that slide, there it is. He went in the mountain and he spent the night in prayer before he called the 12. Mark doesn't include that. Like I say, Mark is, is the cliff notes, just, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, and, and so we're going. And so he goes on the mountainside, after spending the night in prayer, he calls the 12 disciples. Hmm. And he designates them as apostles. Sent once. The whole purpose of gathering them to himself was so that he could send them forth. No, that's not true. The whole purpose of gathering them together is because he wanted them to be with him. There was a, a desire in his heart motivated by love that he wanted these disciples to, to be his close companions, to be with him, to know him, to experience him to know everything about him. And folks, when you live with someone, you discover some things that you wouldn't have known if you hadn't. To me, this is almost like Jesus is marrying the disciples. You know, there, there's a real sense in which the, the level of intimacy, the level of oneness, the level of closeness that he's, that he's pursuing here, that he's inviting them into because he wants them is one that's covenantal in nature. And so, <laughs> it's one thing to be called, it's another thing to respond. The thing that I, I see over and over throughout scripture is that God will not violate our free will. He can, but he, when he's extending an invitation to us to come to him and to be close to him, it's always with no strings attached and it's always our ability to walk the other way and say no. Last, last week when Chuck was here, he, he touched upon this and it kinda, the point kind of came from uh, what Jay Pathick shared with us at More Love, More Power. When he says, you know, the wrath of God is manifest when he turns us over to our own desires. 
It's not when he takes a lightning bolt and zaps us. It's not when he spanks us and smacks us and puts us in time out. The wrath of God is when he gives us up to our own desires. I don't know how that makes you feel. But as a kid, I always got caught every time I did something I wasn't supposed to. Matter of fact, my, my grandmother on my mother's side, she knew I was going to do something I wasn't supposed to before I did. And it was just like, oh, this isn't fair. And every time I would do something that would probably deviate from the path that the Lord would have for me, I got caught. And I used to get so mad because my friends never got caught. I had one friend in particular that always got away with everything. And I just thought, man, I wish I was like him. Until I realized, you know, this could just be the call of God on my life. This just could be a manifestation of his mercy. That every time I try to move one way, I get caught. He's trying to, he's trying to teach me to obey is, is a better option than to disobey. So it's not because of any virtue in me. I felt like I had some bumpers in my bowling alley, you know, that kept my ball out of the gutter. And uh, that was because of his goodness and his kindness and his mercy. And so I'd still get some pins even though I should have been in the gutter. Does that analogy make any sense to anybody? I hope so. So, I was just kind of grieved with the wrath of God, being that he just gives us up to our own desires. If you keep saying, Lord, I want to do it my way, I, don't, I know what your word says, I've been in the church long enough that I've heard accurate biblical teaching, and I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I keep doing it, have a conversation with the Lord this week and say, Lord, is this a manifestation of your giving me over to my own desires? Because if it is, it should shake you up. It should rattle you to the core when you're starting to realize the reason why I am not able to come into alignment could be because I've chosen my own way and the Lord has let me go. Can Christians do that? Yes, they can. I don't know what the extent of the wrath of God may be manifested in your life, but it's the kind of thing that let's come to our awareness, come to our senses and say, Lord, Forgive me. Forgive me for my selfish pursuits, for wanting what I want above what you want. Because you know what? When, when we start doing what he wants, usually we find out that's really what we've always wanted all along. And it transcends what the enemy was putting in front of us that looked like a great desire, looked like a good option. And when we start to understand the option that he sets before us, oh, it, it is so far superior, so far superior. 
So, the ones that he wanted, and they came to him. We always have to respond. We always have to respond. We need to be responding in a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute kind of way. We, we don't wait till Sunday and respond and then go through the rest of the week and wait till Sunday to make another response. It needs to be liquid, responding to him always, anytime he's extending to you an invitation, anytime he's extending to you a call to come and to be with him. Hmm. Do you know what it's like to be wanted? Have you ever felt unwanted? Mm-hmm. For some of us, it could have been in elementary school. It's amazing like our world shifts from our family of origin to when we go into elementary school. We, we get into a whole new paradigm when, when we go to elementary school. And we find that what gave us worth value and significance within our family, that doesn't necessarily transfer over into the school, into the elementary world. And now it's recess and they're choosing up teams. And there's two captains. Rick and Linda. And now they're going to choose, and you're waiting, and you're, if you're like some, that you're just saying, oh, Lord, please don't let me be the last one chosen. Please don't let me be the last one chosen. Because that implies that you really weren't wanted. And the enemy will take our childhood, elementary, at any point in our development, And he'll take those things and he'll try to get us to embrace them as our identity. We are not worth having. Nobody wants us. But Jesus wants you. And Jesus has chosen you. And he's called you to himself. And when we've been conditioned that nobody really wants us, that when we hear the good news that somebody does want us, it is too good to be true. And oftentimes we sabotage the calling of the Lord, calling to us. And we say he really, he doesn't want us. Or he wants me so he can use me. Mm-hmm. Now notice that, secondly, that he might send them out to preach. That he might send them out to share the good news of the gospel. The news that is so wonderful (laughs) that God loves us and he gave his one and only son for us. And as we believe and receive, we become reconciled to Father God, and we become sons and daughters of the living God, freed from our sins, free from all the ways in which the enemy has tried to narrowly define us so we don't understand our full value and significance. But for some of us, we've, we've been last so many times 
it's almost impossible to believe that he really, really does want me. Now the flip side of that is the one who says, well, of course he wants me. I'm a star. I'm amazing. I'm an all-star. Of course he wants me. Do you know how well I play an instrument? Do you know how wonderful I sing? Do you know how wonderful I can do this, this, and this? Of course he wants me. He chose me. It's the commercial about the little girl choosing Barkley on her team. Some of you may not have seen that commercial, but it's like, it's so simple. Yeah, I'll take the 6'4 <laughs> Barkley to count Charles Barkley to be on my team. We don't, we don't realize either extreme will cause us not to know the reality of being chosen, of being called. The way of the kingdom, and I, I, I just keep getting this emphasized over and over and over and over again, is one of humility and surrender. And for surrender, you can put in submission, you can put in obedience, <clears throat> you can put in all sorts of things underneath that category. But we find that when we realize <clears throat> who he is and we see him for who he truly is and that he wanted me, that's humbling. That he's chosen me, that should take all our arrogance and all our fear and insecurities and low self-esteem and wash it all out because when we see him for who he is and to realize he's the one that's called me because he wants me, yeah. He wants us, not the demons, going about and telling who he is. And it's time that we step up and realize we have a place of privilege unlike any other. We get to share who Jesus is. We get to share about the love of the Father. We get to introduce people so that they can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit who will come upon them and cause them to realize how much they are loved by God. I'm all for it. I think this is good news. And that's what he sent them to do. He called them so he could send them out. Now, <clears throat> I think it's interesting. <clears throat> I was reading a devotional and it just cracked me up because here's at the beginning of the three years that they're following Jesus. What would you say their maturity level was and their understanding of the kingdom of God and who Jesus was? It wasn't very big. It, it, it's pretty, pretty immature. I read this today and it says, during your immature years, serving others may seem like a distraction from your enjoyment of God. I thought of that, oh man, I know exactly where that was. When I first had my encounter with the Holy Spirit and was getting up in, in the morning prayer time, and then as a church, we had a men's prayer breakfast at 6.30. And I got to where I really didn't like that. 
because it was interfering with my prayer time with the Lord. And I just thought, oh, I really don't like this. And then I realized, but he does. I was just preoccupied with my time with him. And as we get mature, we realize that he loves when our hearts change and start becoming others-centered. So listen to what he says. Ministry can feel like a hindrance or a painful duty. But as you mature in full union with him, you'll become a vessel possessed by his life. The overflow of your relationship with him creates a desire to cultivate the garden of God in others. Is that beautiful? You're fully aware you have something to offer, but wisdom anchors you to him. <clears throat> Running with him in ministry while maintaining first love relationship with the Lord changes your perspective. Now I want to present, propose to you that Jesus isn't sending these guys out prematurely. Matter of fact, there's chapters that follow before they get sent out. They still don't know which end is up, but he's called them because he wants them. And as he lives life with them, they begin to see how he moves, how he operates, what he's like in the morning, what he's like at noon, what he's like in the evening, what he's like after a fatiguing day of ministry. Yeah, I love this. It becomes a, a joy to pour into those whose passion hasn't been awakened. I just thought, brothers and sisters, we will always find someone who isn't as far along as we are, that we can either get frustrated and judgmental and, and feel like, well, I thought they were a Christian. Why aren't they blah, 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 to the point or we can get to where we have the joy of being able to pour in to those whose joy hasn't arrived yet. The urgency to embrace your calling stems from a desire to honor him, but also from the compassion you have for others and a confidence in your identity. As you know who he is, you know who you are, and then you begin to care about who they are and the opportunities that you have. Okay, so he appointed them, <clears throat> designating them as apostles. Going back to slide six, Susie Q. That they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority over demons. Wow. Mm -hmm. To have authority. We go on and we find in chapter 10 now, we go... We fast forward, and in the Gospel of Mark, now the disciples are at the place where he's ready to send them out. And this is how Matthew 10, 1 says it. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority, again, exousia, to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Okay? He gave them authority. Authority means that we have permission to release the power of God into a situation. We have been authorized. Now the thing of it is, 
when you get authorized, sometimes it doesn't feel any different than the moment right before you got authorized. But the moment you are authorized, I guarantee you in the spirit realm, they understand that something different is functioning in you than what was happening right before when you were unauthorized. I get so frustrated with Verizon or credit card company or something and Debbie, you know, was going to make a call in my behalf or they're calling about something and they say, oh, well, ma'am, you're not authorized on this card, you know, have your husband call and I'm just thinking, Shh. so when I get on, I say, hey, I want my wife authorized. What do I need to do? And they say, okay, you do this. Let's do. And so as soon as I do it, now she's authorized. She speaks with the full authority of me on this account. And you've been authorized by Jesus to speak for him on his account in relationship to people's lives, especially over <laughs> the demonic, which is really interesting. In, in Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, Mark only talks about the demonic. But in Matthew chapter 10, as they're going out, we find that the authorization is not only to cast out the demonic, but it's also to heal the sick and every form of disease. Wow. You've been authorized. Here we don't understand everything because we live in the already and the not yet. And we know that in the future, when the kingdom of God is fully manifest and fully activated, there will be no sin, sickness, disease, cancer. None of that stuff will exist. But now we're living in a time where within the fallenness of, of the world, we find that Jesus is introducing pockets of heaven everywhere he goes. And we have the opportunity to partner with him and to release pockets of heaven and to bring in the kingdom, announce it. Now the problem is, how many's ever prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed? Anybody done that? Most of you have a perfect track record. Yay, good. I want you to come over and be the ministry team today <laughs> for all those that... <clears throat> Here's the reality. We know from Scripture that the age to come, it's heaven. And we know <laughs> from Scripture that the age that we're in, there's still a war going on with the kingdom of darkness. But we know that the light has overcome the darkness and greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And so there is an authorization that we need to realize because the enemy is using all his energy to keep you think that you haven't been authorized. He wants you to keep thinking that as the call comes in, you're gonna hear the lady say, oh, sorry, you're not authorized on this account. I'll need to speak with somebody else. Is your pastor there? No. You are authorized. And you need to realize that you're authorized. 
You will not act as one who's been authorized if you don't receive it. And I don't care if you take baby steps. Take baby steps. Pray for a runny nose. You know? Pray, pray for a sour disposition. Uh, pray for a hangnail. Do whatever. But begin. Begin to branch out your wings and see what authorization you have today and see if it increases tomorrow and the next day and see what kind of authority the Lord wants to entrust you with. <clears throat> Phil Strout, our national director, I heard that he prays this prayer like every day and I thought, isn't that interesting? Because the Lord laid that prayer on my heart many years ago. And it's, Lord, anoint me with all the power and authority that you can trust me with. Hmm. See, there's a relationship between an increase in authority and power and our relationship with him the character that's been developed in the quiet place, the character that's been developed with him over the years. That's why you can have really anointed people who have no mature character, and they can go and do miraculous things and amazing things and prophetic words with great accuracy, but that's why we got 1 Corinthians 13. But without love, it doesn't profit. We need, Lord, build character, build trustworthiness so that you can authorize me with a greater amount <laughs> from your account, you know. So today, if you're only authorized for $100, start figuring out what $100 looks like. But if you've been authorized for $10 billion, it's time to get started. And it's time to start releasing what you have authority to release. That's why I think it's so important when we pray for one another, we don't pray with just one person, you know? Like, I am the great healer, come and I'll lay my hands on you and you'll get healed. Sometimes there's a gift and anointing for that and that's, that's got its place in the kingdom, that's biblical. But it's God's healing community. When we gather around someone and we pray and we minister, guess what? Who knows what authorization someone in that group may have to release something supernatural in that moment? Because most of the time, the enemy's got us feeling like, eh, I'm only authorized for 20 bucks. And we pray a 20 buck prayer. And we release a 20 buck faith. But what's the good news? If you got the size of a mustard seed, look out. If you pray with a 20 buck authorization and you believe Jesus, who knows if the mountain's gonna get up and be tossed into the sea? You don't know. Okay, I've been rambling, but I, I love talking with you. And, and, and I, I, I wanna encourage us because in this day, in our community, in our culture, we need believers. We haven't got to all the slides, sorry about that. But the last one is, is um, the Great Commission. 
<clears throat> the Great Commission. And here Jesus, who is authorizing his disciples with the authority that the Father has given him, now in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He has absolute, 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 absolute authorization. And based on his account, he tells us to go. And this is what we need to, to realize. We gotta start going and make disciples. We don't wanna just get people in the building. We don't even wanna just get them through a program. I've, I, most of my discipleship programs that I've been acquainted in in my evangelical life, uh, I won't name them all, but I, as I've gone through them, I've got my Bible verses memorized, I've got my scripture studies completed, I've got my booklets done, I've, I've did my testimony, I've witnessed. And when you're done with that, you say, check, okay, I'm a disciple. And then you go about living the rest of your life focused on yourself and not on the Lord or others. And it's like, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. <clears throat> Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's, there's, a, there's a going that brings a, a, a regenerative process to where they come to know who they are, they become born again, and then they learn obedience. And the only way to get character is to obey. Character is not by completing a course. Character is a personal relationship with the Lord where he speaks and you say yes, and he speaks and you say yes, and he speaks and you say yes. Now, your yes may not be immediate. You may have to have a discussion. You may have to say, but Lord, that sounds painful. That sounds hard. That sounds difficult. You know, I stutter. I can't do that. I, I don't have enough money. I can't. No, you can have a conversation with him. Just remember, at the end of it, you say, yes. That's what Moses did. Moses had a huge conversation, but he eventually said yes. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.